The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Today we are in the book of Acts, chapter 16, and today we are starting um, part two of the sermon series that, that are really gearing us and aiming us to fill every street with the love of God. The first one in February was called Savvy Faith, Learning to Share Your Faith in the Midst of a Culture with Differing Opinions. And this month we are looking at um, what I'm calling something like Silas, and it's how to stand strong in the midst of hard times. So by a show of hands, who here has been stressed out lately? Stressed out. Okay, so I just want to make sure that either we're lying, not stressed, maybe some of you are really excellent at coping with stress. Um, I didn't realize how stressed I was until, um, really until yesterday. So I got stressed out writing a message about being stress-free. Um, and I've been sort of frazzled and running around. One of my neighbors, uh, the neighbor, if you walk out my door to this side, had recognized from afar that I was stressed out. And I came home, and I don't know if your houses are like my house right now, but my oak tree is vomiting green mist and leaves everywhere. And um, in my leaves, I, I keep getting these notices from my HOA people who are like, they're minions of the Satan, okay? Um, and every time I complain about something, they complain back, but they have official notices. So I'm drafting, I'm creating this thing in Photoshop. It's going to be an official notice I give to my HOA when I don't like what they're doing. And I'm going to give them final notices. This is my passive aggressive or just aggressive aggressive. Anyway, leaves are piling up. I come home and my whole front yard is like clean. And I look around and I'm thinking, Jesus loves me so much. He sent a mini hurricane and it cleaned my front yard. And then I looked over at my neighbor's yard and I saw way more bags of leaves sitting by their thing. And I, I thought, either they clean my leaves or they threaten their teenage son to clean my leaves. So I wrote on Facebook and they said, we did, we just recognize you've been stressed out. And in my brain I thought, this is so ironic because I'm talking about how not to be stressed out and how to cope with stress. And in the midst of this week, it's just always fitting that God does that. So this month is going to be dealing with difficult times. So if you have had or are going through a difficult time, a valley of the shadow of death, if you've been diagnosed with high cholesterol, if you are going through something like cancer or the death of a loved one, if you have recently lost your job, if you have financial difficulties, if your marriage or relationship is in strife, if your children don't like you or you don't like them, this is the month for you. And today, we are in Acts 16. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to read and deal with this God's way. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and hearts to see and understand you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggles. Lord, many of us come to church to seek relief and reprieve from the daily grind and the pressures that, that squeeze in on us. So I pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us through the story of Paul and Silas. I pray now that you would show us and lead us in ways to stand strong in the midst of hard times. Lord, I, you, you love each person here today. I pray that they would know that when they leave this room and that they would have a better understanding of how and why they can stand strong. That they would be walking out of these doors better equipped with mechanisms to fight back against the difficulties that life will throw their way this week. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So, stress. Whew. Stress literally just means pressure, uh, squeezing in on you. And one of my favorite things to do to people, um, because I'm tall, 
I can pick up just about anybody. Um, and I love doing this. I've done this. I'm looking around this room. I've done this to a handful of people here. I will hug some of you, and it's usually my close guy friends, and if you're bald, it only helps. I like to do it to bald guys more because it's, it's less furry. Um, but I'll pick you up, and I'll let your feet dangle like you're a third grader. I did this to Derek just yesterday and a couple other people, and, it, and it's this total squeeze of pressure. Now, some of us are doing this or having this done to us by life, and in the story we're looking at today, this is a big squeeze, and these guys get put in a situation because they were following Jesus, and I recognize that everyone in here is not going to be put in this situation for following Jesus. Some of us are in a pressure chamber of our own making and own stupidity, but the principles are going to apply. So here's the story. I love this story. Verse 16 of chapter 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, this is Luke, Paul, and Silas. Luke is the author. Paul and Silas are the guys. Silas is who I named um, my middle child after was this guy. Amy picked Silas for a different reason, but that doesn't matter. Actually, that did matter. She won. Okay. They were going to the place of prayer. So they were on their way to a church gathering. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. People have asked me, is fortune-telling real? I look to the Bible and say, well, apparently it works sometimes, but it's a demon. Okay. Um, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, it seems weird. If you get the story in your mind, so Paul, Silas, and Luke, they're going to the place of prayer. And there's a girl who is a fortune teller known to make money off telling the future. And she's saying, these men are working for the God most high. These men will tell you the way to salvation. And she was bugging them, but bugging them with truth, but bugging them nonetheless. And I love that I love that it says this in the Bible that um, Paul became greatly annoyed. Does anyone here ever get annoyed by other people? Amen. I knew I'd get one amen today. One amen. And, and not only that, they're getting annoyed by someone on the way to the place of prayer. So on the way to church, they're getting bugged by someone. And I don't know if you're in my situation or not. See, what I do to avoid this is that I abandon my wife and children every single Sunday so that she has to get three minions soon to be four ready because I've seen her walk through the door and my kids. And, and let's be honest, you guys. Some of us, some of the dads especially, we have the easiest like, gig because our wives do all the work. They clean. They take care of stuff. Many of them work. And then we come home and moms are like chopped liver. And the kids run up to me, Daddy, I loved you. I missed you. You're the greatest human in the world. And they cling to my legs. And my wife's over there like, I will kill you. They should love me. And I'm like, but they don't. My, my kids can greatly annoy anybody on the way here. Your kids can greatly annoy you. On the place, uh, going to the place of prayer, sometimes we will come across people who will cause us stress. Sometimes it's the person we're married to. Sometimes it's the person we've birthed. Sometimes it's the person that we come here and we just don't like them very much. Sometimes you think, I am so greatly annoyed by someone at the place of prayer that I'm going to go to the 1045 service because I know they go to the 9 o'clock. 
it gives me comfort that Paul was annoyed. Not that it's saying he was sin-free. But it's, it's that concept of that pestering thing that begins to bother you. And Paul commands the evil spirit to come out of this girl. And it came out the very next hour. Now, we, we all deal with stress in different ways. Some of us deal with stress like this. We get annoyed and we lash out. Some of us deal with stress by retreating. Uh, some of us deal with stress by um, coping. So you cope with drugs or substances. I wish um, all the liquor stores would go back to what they used to be called. They used to be called um, stores where they carried wines and spirits. I love that. Isn't that amazing that even in their marketing and titling of their stores, they knew that what they were trying to do was replace the Holy Spirit with a different type of spirit? Because the Bible says, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not against wine uh, or, or spirits, but when you're using them as a replacement to cope with stress, a temporary numbing agent, and whatever it is that you use, maybe you use lashing out in anger, maybe you use retreat and withdrawal, maybe you use a substance, I want us to begin to recognize that whatever you use to try to reduce the pressure of stress, unless it's God, it will end up being a cycle of slavery in your life where you will have to continually go back to those negative habits and mechanisms. But here's what happens next because the story gets so juicy. When her owners saw, the slave girl's owners, they saw that their hope of gain was gone. Basically, Christianity wrecked their money-making enterprise. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they're having a bad day. Paul's getting bugged by church people or someone following him to church. Cast out the demon. That demon ended up being, that girl was a money-making enterprise. I would love it if all of the followers of Jesus would live in such a way that we would put industries out of business in Tampa. Like when I was researching Tampa and learning about the city, I found out that we have um, certain vices that as a city um, people turn to. People turn to adult entertainment, um, the the um, the density of bars and, and liquid dispensary establishments is fairly high. I would love it if, uh, if the church rose up and, and the city was impacted in such a way that adult entertainment, people got mad at us. I would love that. If they were like, ah, I just can't stand it. These people are putting us out of business. Um, I, I, that's just me. Sometimes I, I get a little fired up when people attack. Um, last night, I've a few of you saw my sin on full display. Um, we were here having this amazing event for the first responders, and, um, and I loved it. I mean, the music was loud. We had a rapper. Um, it was incredible. However, one of the neighbors in particular not loved it. Um, and I started to get these, my phones connected to all the chapel stuff. And it's all these reviews. Review, 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 Google review, Facebook review. And this, this person, I'm just getting one started. And if they come today, they can come. That's fine. They can threaten me. I don't care. Um, but they, they were so mad, and they said, your music is, are shaking my walls. And I thought at first, I was like, ooh, where do you live? Um, and then I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find this guy. He, he's got to be close. I'm like, I know this house. I know this house. I don't know this house. 
and I had his picture. I was going to go walk in the doors. And then we have, we've got a bunch of nerds here, and one of the guys was like, I found out where he lived. And I was like, dude, I never want to be on your bad side. Um, I said, like, how did you do that? Never mind, don't tell me. I don't want this power. You know, just like went through the Twitterverse and came out in reality. And, um, and at the end of it, though, I thought, we're here to try to honor first responders, to give gifts and to say thank you for being there for us during Irma and during these horrific things and protecting our kids at schools here in this community and showing up when we have medical emergencies. So I didn't write on the thing, like, I'm so sorry that we're shaking your walls. You know, if, you're, if you have a grievance, please don't leave us a bad review. Instead, could you just call the cops? And I wanted to say that because we were giving 4K TVs away to cops. I'm like, see what they do now. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Um, but my stress, because when you stress, what happens is your, your brain, your body produces cortisol. And cortisol begins to fog your thinking mechanism. And what happens is if you don't de-stress, your brain is in this constant state where your thinking, your memory, everything gets clouded because uh, essentially cortisol is almost like a poison to, to any long-term thinking solutions in your mind. Paul and Silas are under immense stress. If you don't make a plan on what you're going to do and how you react to stress before it happens, you will fall and fall and fall into the bad habits that your body defaults to and that your mind defaults to. So that's why I believe that Paul and Silas, they had already gone through some stressful situations. They had thought through, what do we do when life gets hard, when life is beating you up? Because they actually got beat up. Some of us are getting emotionally destroyed at work. Every week you have a boss or a coworker who is just grating away at your soul and you don't have a mechanism. You don't have an idea of how do I turn to God while this is happening? Because if you don't plan before, once the cortisol, once the stress, stressors begin to fire off in your brain, you're not going to think clearly in what you should do next. Now, they had it really bad, you guys. This story, um, the reason I love it is because, um, for those of you who know Silas, um, A, Silas would not let anyone beat him up. Um, he is my, my smallest child, other than Bella Rose. Um, Bella's not in my tummy. Um, contrary to taco belief, it's in my wife's tummy. Um, other than Bella, Silas is my smallest child, and he's not my youngest. Um, Savannah is four, and uh, my cortisol, see, it's going. Uh, Savannah's four, and she outweighs Silas, and she's, she's fairly angry as a human. Um, but Silas, despite being the smallest, is the protector of our whole family. Silas, um, he's, he's not going to be tall like me and Jackson and Savannah. Jackson's nine. He's like 6'10". Um, Savannah's going to be a giant as well. The doctor's like, I'm sorry, um, Silas. He didn't say sorry. In my head, I said that's sorry. Uh, Silas is going to be maybe like 5'11", maybe 6 foot. I was like, what a disappointment. Um, <laughs> but his heart, he, he'll protect anybody. He'll cry if you get injured. He'll, he'll cry with you. Um, he, he, Silas... Um, has no concept of stress right now. And I don't know if this is just common to some six-year-olds. Jackson is a little bit more stressed out than Silas. Silas, something bad could happen. He'll shake it off and just keep going. He'll fall on his bike. I'm bleeding. I've got a bleeder, he says. And just keep going. Someone makes fun of Silas. He'll cry for a second, and then he'll just forget about it. He just lets the stress roll right off of him. We all should be like Silas, this Silas and my Silas. Because... Some of us, when we get attacked, we clam up. But, but check this out. They just got stripped naked, beat down, and shackled. Now, you can use any metaphor you want for your life of being 
stripped down, humiliated, of being beaten down with rods. These rods would have been like the equivalent of like the, the, the narrow end of a bat, but about two to three feet. Beat them with rods up to 40 times. And then shackled and then put in the inner prison, not the outer prison, but the deep, deep part of the prison to keep them safe. And their feet were in stocks. Stress will immobilize us. Stress will beat us down. And here's what they did. This is the, they're famous for this. About midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in their shackles in the inner part of the prison. So, so get this in your mind, okay? This is, not, this is not prisons that we have. This is not Rec Club USA where there's ping pong and fresh tiger balls. It's, this is not uh, cable TV. This is stock, so there's wood or shackles around their feet. They cannot move. They're likely laying down or sitting down with their feet immobilized. There is no indoor plumbing in the inner part of prisons. So where people go to the bathroom is where the bathroom stuff stays. They're in a terrible situation. They have a maximum stress. They're bleeding. They're mostly naked. There is the smell about them. There are other prisoners around them. They cannot move. And they're singing and praying to God at midnight. Man, singing. What song would you sing if you were in their position? I mean, I could think of a lot of songs to sing. I would sing... um, I can't sing that song here. I could think of a lot of songs to sing, you know. It's usually going to be R&B about bad things, lost loves, pain. They were singing and praying to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So in the midst of this amazingly stressful situation, they had the wherewithal to say, you know what we're going to do? Worship service, boom. Boom. And they start just going for it. I don't know what hymns they had back then, singing Psalm 23, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if they were singing Psalm 42, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will believe in you again. Hope, hope, hope. I don't know if they knew songs from the 90s by some sovereign will of God. I, in my mind, I picture them singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We're down in my heart. We're getting the prisoners into it. No, not doing that. Georgia, Georgia. What were they singing? Hymns. The prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So this miracle happens. They're singing, they're praying, and God says, boom. Shake, shake, shake. Shackles ungo. Things come off. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So that people, we see this over and over again, when tragedy strikes, um, stock market strike, when unemployment strikes, when despair strikes, when a marriage fails, if somebody put their hope, their ultimate hope in any one of these things, the last uh, string that many people turn to, unfortunately, is taking their own life. The jailer knew that his job was to keep these prisoners safe and his life would have been forfeit, so he was going to take it himself. This is the world's way of coping with stress oftentimes. But Paul and the prisoners stayed. And and notice, it's not just Paul and Silas. Somehow Paul and Silas got all the prisoners to stay, like the people who were the actual criminals. We're still there. I just love how they cope with this stress. Some of us, um, one of the the biggest things that I've gotten on people for 
is taking a Sabbath day. And, um, and I've picked on some people real bad. Um, I, was, I was hoping Edwin wasn't going to show up this service because, man, I've picked on Edwin so bad with Sabbath day stuff, and, and he's picked on me with Sabbath day stuff because it's Sabbath day. Like when I say Sabbath, it's God created the world in six days, so work really hard for six days to make humanity better. One day, do nothing. Recalibrate, let the, the brain let go of the stress. I'm not going to ask you how many of you take a regular Sabbath because I'd be terrified of the answer. But, but there's a biological wiring, there's a spiritual wiring as to why God created it. I think Paul and Silas had had such a rhythm of praying and singing to God, such a rhythm of, of knowing what to do and how to take a break, that they had no problem going right into rest God prayer sing mode. Some of us don't know how to turn off the emails, the text messages, the social media. So I'm, I'm, I like to give out homework assignments from time to time, and I'm giving out a homework assignment this week. If you have not Sabbathed, here's what I need some of you to do today. And this, if this isn't you, do your equivalent of this. But I need some of you to go to the beach this week. I need some of you to go to the beach and to say, I'm going to unplug for a day. I'm going to have the most amazingly relaxed day, which means you can't bring your kids because that's not relaxing at the beach. You can't, you can't supervise potential drownings wh- while you're relaxing. Like abandon your children, get a babysitter that's background checked, put a bunch of food on the table. If you have a teenager, more power to you. I want you to go lay in the sand. And just do nothing. Just one day this week. That's all I'm asking. It's homework. Spiritual homework. One day. Lay in the beach. I mean, the water is going to be a little bit chillier, you guys. I know for Floridians, I read that it's like down to 72 now. So maybe you could bear it for three hours. I don't want you to think about anything. I don't want you to answer an email. I want you to take your battery out of your phone and keep the phone in your car. If you bring something. If you have to bring something because your ADD will not tolerate it, bring a paper Bible. One of these. Not your phone Bible. Don't cheat. And for a whole day, just exhale out and do nothing. And when you get home, don't pick up your phone. And don't check all the messages you missed. When you get home, say, I'm going to get it tomorrow. The world will not end. Now, some of you are already thinking, I could never. Others of you are thinking, I will pay someone to let me do that. Some of you are thinking, I don't want to go there with my spouse or girlfriend. Some of you are thinking, I'm just going to do this alone and not even tell my husband or wife that I'm going to do it. They're just going to wonder where I went on a day and think that the rapture happened without them. I need us to understand the rhythm of unplugging and just laying there in front of God with no expectations. Some of you are are coming up with every argument in your mind right now of why you can't do that this week. And I'm telling you that the, the biology of it is clear, the way that stress will leave us. I've never met an angry person floating on a floaty in the Gulf of Mexico. Never. I've never like gone out there putting on the cocoa sun butter and had someone just screaming their brains out because their floaty was sinking too much. Never. I've, I've just not seen it. I've never seen someone, whatever you're happy, maybe that's not your happy place. Maybe your happy place is going to Disney and being surrounded by germs and lines. Go do that. And, 
and don't think about anything else. Maybe your happy place is just sitting in your backyard and drinking three pots of coffee and reading Philippians 10 times, allegedly. Do that. Maybe your happy place is going to walk over at that park where you could be engulfed by an alligator at any moment. Do that. But do it for a day. And then say, you know what? I'm going to do this next week. I read about this idea somewhere. It's called a Sabbath. Where once a week, we just unplug from the universe and say, forget you world, God's got me. Because when we do that, what's going to happen is we're going to begin to understand the mechanisms for trusting in God in ways that we have not trusted him before. People think a Sabbath is just a rule to obey or it's just good for your health. A Sabbath fundamentally, spiritually says, in this moment, I am trusting God no matter what. In this moment, I don't need to work because God will provide. In this moment, I can relax because God's got this. Since I picked on Edwin for not Sabbathing, I need to praise him. He will tell you no matter what, if you're having the worst year of your life, you just go talk to Edwin. He'll be like, this is my best Edwin impersonation. (laughs) God's got this. And that's not what he sounds like at all. But he'll say that phrase, God's got this. I'm like, Edwin, you don't understand. No, God's got this. But Edwin, God's got this. But you know, this thing is going on. This Ryan, does God got this? Yeah, he's got this. The only people that sing and pray when they're in jail, beaten, bloodied, incarcerated, shackled, are the people who know God's got this. The people who have a mechanism of saying, when life goes bad, God's got this. Some of you right now are thinking, um, I, I don't know if God's got this. I don't know if God's got my cancer. I don't know if God's got my relationship. I don't know if God's got my kids. I don't know if God's got my wife, my husband, whatever it is, my work, my, my finances. Some of, you, some of you are stressing out about the future. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to retire. Some of you are stressing out about tomorrow, like rent is due and I don't have it. Until we get to that place where, where we can understand fully that God has got this, Stress will become the God of our lives, and it will drive us to look for saviors that will numb us temporarily, but that offer no long-term solutions. Paul and Silas, they've got this. The jailer woke, and the doors were open. He was going to kill himself, but Paul said, don't do it. And the jailer called for lights because he didn't believe him, and he rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, here's here's what I I need us to take away from this. We talked about Sabbath, and I make jokes, go lay on a beach. That's not a joke. Like, do that. I need you to understand that until you get to this point where you can let go and say, God's got this. And and I'm going to get to some of the objections in a minute here. But until you can get to that point, the default mode will be whatever it's been for the last 10 years of your life. Whatever you use to deal with stress, you'll, you'll do that. Some of us deal with stress by pursuing more stress. Some of us deal with stress of work by throwing ourselves into work more. Some of us deal with stress in relationship by running away. Some deal with it by trying to overbear the other person in the relationship or friendship. Until we can step back and say, I believe that God is in control. I can literally sing and pray on any day of the week. Until we get to that point where we can go on a beach and not feel like the world is going to end because we believe that God is sovereign, that God is powerful. 
We're not going to get to this next part, which is very difficult, because this, this is the key here to how we get to this. We have to learn something that I believe modern people in our culture are allergic to. It's a four-letter word, wait. This phrase is throughout the Bible, wait on the Lord. Nobody likes waiting that I've ever met in my life. Even though some of you like the Disney, nobody likes waiting for lines, which is why they created the Fast Pass, right? This phrase, wait on the Lord, is exactly what Paul and Silas were doing. It's exactly what some of you need to do today. It doesn't mean that you just abandon doing things. But in particular situations, sometimes you have to say, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to sit here. Because sometimes you know what you should be doing, you know what's right, and you don't do it. And you know what's wrong, and you keep doing it. And some of you are thinking, I cannot possibly change I can't possibly take a Sabbath. I can't possibly get out of this situation. My finances are bad. I've got to go find another job. I can't pay rent. What am I going to do? And there is a time to do things, but there is a time to wait. And not enough of us wait on God. My hope is when you are looking at your life and you know in your head, I I should do this. I need to go here. I need to be that. My hope is that You can slow down and say, okay, I'm going to wait on God. In this situation, I'm going to wait on God. And you may think, what good is waiting going to do? And I'll tell you what good waiting has done me and maybe for some of you. Um, The most difficult season of my life usually gets all the way down, and, and I'm stubborn. My heart is hard, and I'm stubborn. So when God wants to get my attention, he usually has to crumble me all the way down. And then I think, there, there he is. Um. God shows up, like we say here, at 5 o'clock. He doesn't show up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He shows up right when the workday is done. God, if you're sliding down the rope of life, you hit one knot and you're looking down at the abyss, God often shows up when it's the end of the rope and there's one knot and it's between your knuckles and your knuckles are turning white, gripping onto life. And God says, I'm here. Because it's in those moments when we've got nothing left to stand on, nothing left to grab, that we finally say, God, I'll do whatever it takes I will wait for you. Some of you don't want to wait today. Some of you are like, I can't wait. I won't pay rent. Some of you are thinking, I'll wait, but only for a three-hour Sabbath day. The verse, be still and know that I am God, is there for a purpose. God knows that we want to do things on our own. God knows that we want to churn up our own significance and worth and value. When we encounter stress, some of you, when I say wait, are terrified that that will cause you more stress. And it might for a season. But here's what I do. Everyone take a big deep breath in and breathe out. Okay. That breath that you just took, the Bible says, was given to you by God. It's a gift. You're not promised the one that comes 10 seconds from now. Hold on to that thought for a second. Your heart's beating. Your cholesterol numbers are there. They're good or bad. Some of you, this is the last year you'll ever see. Some of you will see so many more years, you'll wish this was the last year you ever saw. But what's happening in this moment is I'm slowing everything down. And I'm I'm needing you to understand this. 
that when I don't talk for 10 seconds, we, some, of, some of you in here get anxious because we struggle waiting and trusting that God is good and that God has this and that God wants to free you from the shackles, from the beatings, from the prisons that your stress has created in your life. Some of us are going to leave this place immediately and say, I will never do a Sabbath again. I'm not going to the chapel again. That guy's telling me to wait. I'm not some sort of relational hippie. I'm telling you this for your own good, for your soul, for your body, for your relationships. All of these things change when you can sit and wait on God and your mind knows. I believe that your mind knows this is a good thing. I should do this. Yes, yes, yes. And your heart's going to pull and say, but if you don't do something, if you don't act now, you're going to miss out. You're not going to be noticed. The problem's not going to get fixed. Now, there are some problems that you need to do something. If your bathroom's overflowing, don't wait. <laughs> if your marriage is self-destructing or cold and distant, wait on the Lord. So you position yourself and do what you know God has called you to do. Pray and sing and sit on the beach one day a week. Don't kill people. Don't steal things. Work six days a week. I know that's hard for some of you. Work five days a week. That's hard. Work three days a week. Whatever you're working. And then say, God, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to seek your face and wait. And God's never going to show up in your timing. You can't schedule God's miracles to show up when you want them to. I love the timing of this story we're in today. It's so amazing because they're singing at, 11, or at 12. The prison breaks open. The jailer sneaks them to his home. The jailer accepts Jesus and all of his household accept Jesus. And then they baptize him. Probably we're talking like 3 in the morning now. Like, amazing grace. Freed. We're all still here. Don't kill yourself. You're still here. I love you. Come out. I will break you out. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's it. Okay. Let's go to my house. Tell my family. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's it. Okay. What do we do next? We're going to baptize you. You're in the family now. You live for God now. You believe in him. You're clothed in him. You're all about him now. So now they're at this 3 a.m. baptism service. I would love to baptize someone at 3 a.m. just once. Just because they just came to Jesus at midnight because I was waiting on God in the craziest of situations. This has made it so much easier for me when I get flat tires now. I think, God must have me here for a purpose. This is so cool. When I go in line to a Starbucks or a coffee shop and the line is super long, I used to think, ah, oh, it's going to take forever. Now I think, oh, I get to wait. And God's going to bring someone near me that I can tell about Jesus or love or give a hug to. I, don't, I haven't stretched my waiting all the way to Disney yet. Don't tell my wife. She comes in the second service. But I think that God might be working this out in me. So I can go to Disney like a spiritual exercise of waiting and patience rather than disdain and rage. <laughs> but this concept of waiting, I, I wait at night a lot. I don't sleep super great. When I do sleep, I'm out like a tank. But when I'm up, I'm up. Sometimes I'm staring over. I'll stare at my wife when she's sleeping like a creepy person. And I'll just wait and pray all the hopes and dreams that we talked about when we were young. I'll go stand over my kids' beds, and I'll stare at them and pray and wait. I don't get to see what my kids are going to be until they're there. Some of you, as you post and send me messages through the week, I pray for you. And I think, Lord, I'm, I'm waiting for you to restore this marriage. I'm waiting for you to restore this child. I'm waiting for you to restore this health. And I'm going to wait, God. And what I found that gives me is the ability to walk around with very low stress. 
Because if God's got this, and he says, all you do is wait on me in the midst of these difficult situations and let me take care of it and watch me do it, the more you see God pull through, and he doesn't pull through in the way that you want. He pulls through in the way that's going to get you closer to him. He doesn't pull, you th- pull through and give you all the things you think you need. He pulls through and gives you exactly what you need in your life so that you get more of him. It's not more money. It's not more health. It's more God that he's ab- about. But when you trust that process, all of a sudden, life becomes really easy. When my kids do something foolish, I think, God, these are your kids that you've given me to steward. I've kept them alive up until now. Can you teach them to be decent humans? When my finances are stretched thin, when Costco Day has not come for a while and I've been just crushing ramen and noodles again and again, I think, God, you've got this under control. You've given me exactly what I need to depend on you. Maybe I need to be more thankful for all the things you have given me. Because if you're anything like me, I can open a pantry that's got something on every shelf, and then I can close it and say, we've got no food. I've, I've rarely had no food in my life. I was going to say I've never. I've rarely. Some of us have given up. Don't give up. Wait. And start your waiting this week by going to a beach, sitting on your backside, and doing nothing for Jesus. And in that moment, just trust the process. And when stress creeps in, say, God's got this. Next week, we're going to go into some practical, more how-tos, but I need you to start with this Sabbath day, because if you don't get this, nothing else makes a difference, and you'll just spin the wheels. We good? Okay, who's going to do a beach day this week? Nobody? Okay. So four people. I quit. No, I'm just kidding. I don't quit. That's your sin, not mine. Okay. Um, Father, today, um, this week, I am beaching. I am going to lay, Lord, for you. I'm going to tan for you. I'm going to lobster. I'm not even going to bring sunscreen, God. Protect me. (laughs) Lord, I don't care if it's cold or if it's hot. God, I'm coming. And I don't care if these uh, people are going to go to the beach. I pray that they don't go to my beach if they go to a beach. I pray that you bring them to a different beach so I don't have to think about work when I'm there. Lord, I pray that everyone here would take a Sabbath. They would be committed to the process to begin to explore what it means to wait and to trust in the midst of stress, in the midst of being shackled, in the midst of being pressured, in the midst of being in the inner prison that our lives have thrown us into. Whether it's a health issue, a relational issue, a money issue, God, we can trust you because you are our good, good father. It is who you are. Lord, teach us this week to wait. Remove the fear from us. Free those of us who are bound in stress, in busyness. Give us the ability to relax and to be still and know. In Jesus' name, all God's kids say.